Welcome back to Table Talk with ABFI. I'm Matt Knight. Today I'm joined with Justine and Kendall Barber of Poppy Bar Barley. Mm -hmm. It's gotta be a bit of a dynamic there for people to get out, get over the barley and barber sometimes. Yeah, sometimes people think our names are connected to the business name and it's not, but yeah. That's maybe I'll ask about that in a second. Um, but first, how are you guys doing today? Good. Good. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, maybe tell us a little bit about each of you and then a little bit kind of like a 30 second pitch about what poppy barley is for people that, that haven't heard of it okay we'll start with you hey so kendall um i'm justine's older sister um 18 months um besides having poppy barley i have two young children um my husband's an optometrist he also owns his own business so we've got two business owners in the family um yeah yeah, so I'm Justine. Um, I also have two young children. Uh, my husband's a lawyer. Um, yeah, and I, I really like to run, play tennis, read a lot. Kendall and I are both like very voracious readers. Oh, uh, yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, and then who wants to tell me a little bit about Poppy Barley? What, what is Okay, so Poppy Barley is about creating luxury for the people. So we are a fashion brand that creates products in the luxury gap that are sustainably made and ethically produced. So we started and we still are primarily a footwear company. We create incredibly comfortable shoes for women too busy taking on the world to have sore feet. And then we have a line of uh, bags and accessories, and then most recently expanded into our first ever knitwear collection. Which we are wearing. It's got to be a connection. Yeah. Get, and yeah. Kendall, can you maybe tell us a little bit about the name? Like, where did Poppy Barley come from? Sure. So Poppy Barley's roots are in custom footwear. And so when we were researching footwear, we discovered that barley corns and poppy seeds were the original unit of measurement to make shoes. So we took poppy seeds and barley corns to create Poppy Barley. Yes. Yeah, so it's like instead of being like a size eight, you would be a... 12 barley corns. Three barley corns equaled an inch. Okay. And then poppy seeds were used as a smaller unit to measure with in England. Look at this. Yeah. So it could actually be more like accurate than our current numbering system, maybe. Could be. Poppy seeds are pretty small. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then, so kind of the inspiration in the name is kind of back to that footwear part of, of things. Mm -hmm. um, how did the company start? What kind of made you guys want to? Tackle the fashion industry or the, or the footwear or shoe industry? Um, I think we were on pretty different paths. So I think, you know, we grew up together. We're very close in age. So we were always only a year apart. And Kendall essentially was always like, I want to be an entrepreneur. Um, and I was like, I want to save the world, more or less, a little bit more. Like I was always into saving the rainforest or like working on issues. Okay. Um, so we were on our different paths. And then what I saw, what happened, what was happening in business is it was the focus on the triple bottom line, you know, with like people, planet, profits, and Warby Parker coming up and doing one for one in Pentagonia. And, and I really started to see, okay, like you can have a business and have an impact. And that really made me interested in business. So I kind of turned to it and decided for the first time I wanted to, to be an entrepreneur. And Kendall was already um, kind of along that path with some of her side companies and and optometry clinics. 
Yeah. So how the company started is Justine was in Bali. Mm -hmm. She went into a shoe store there. She saw a pair of boots that she loved. She went to pull the pair of boots on and she couldn't quite zip them up over her cap. And the man who owned the store said, no problem. I'll just measure your legs and I'll like make the boots for you and ship them back to you in Canada. So Justine got this pair, got her legs measured for this pair of boots. And then, you know, later was walking on the beach and was like, we, this is an idea. Like this should be available to more women. And so on that trip, Justine sent a couple of emails. The first was, Connor and I are engaged. And it was like very short and to the point. Mm -hmm. And then the next email that she sent me was one of the longest emails I've ever received where she took me through her whole business idea and her thoughts. And you could tell she had really like sat on it um, and excited about it. And in a way that can only happen sometimes when you're on vacation, where you have like that freedom of space to really be creative. Definitely when you're kind of, that you never know when that inspiration is going to come. Yeah, I think for me, I always think, it was like a week before that for the very first time I thought I want to be an entrepreneur. And then I started looking at the world differently where I was looking for opportunities and ideas. And I think once you have that hat on, you you see business opportunity. Okay. How long did it take kind of from that that long ins- inspirational email to actually get something into, into place where you were a little bit closer to the business model side of things? So yeah, I, I emailed Kendall, I think it was early February and May, after validating the idea to the market and our friends a little bit, we each decided to spend up to $5,000 and a week of vacation to fly to Mexico to see if we could find a manufacturer, because obviously we had to create a product to have a company. Mm-hmm. We both quit our jobs that July, and then we launched in November. Okay. What, what year was this? 2012. 2012. No. Yeah. So from like idea to our first 100 customers within 12 months. As fast. It's that's impressive. And that is very fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. And how has the concept changed from kind of that idea to where you are today with, you know, obviously a couple more product lines, but what, what's kind of changed in, in, from that original email? Can you ever go back to that? No, I haven't actually. Um, I would say it's changed a lot. In the first couple, in probably two main areas, in the first two years, we really focused on being custom footwear and had some success doing that, but could also see a lot of limitations. So in our third year of business, Kendall and I to our team were like, we need to go heavily into stock footwear. And, you know, immediately got pushback about like, but this is what makes us special. And we were like, yes, but like, this is the better business. Like we really need to go this direction. So that was a big flip. And then since then we've also, yeah, added accessories, added complementary product lines. And then the other big shift that we've always been focused on ethical manufacturing, but over the years, we took a much broader lens to what it means to be like a sustainable fashion company. So we certified as a B Corp and we started using that as a framework to look at our community, look at our suppliers, look at our raw materials and became yeah, much more diversified. And then, so because we are on a business family podcast, um, have you ever thought of yourself as a family business? I, I I do in a lot of ways in the sense that we're family who have a business. I think we're a little bit different where we are first generation. Mm-hmm. And at least in my mind, and I think in Kendall's too, we're, we're not creating the business to pass down, mostly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because we manufacture 
in Mexico, Spain, Portugal, and have a little bit in Italy as well. And those are all countries that are very heavy on family business. Yeah. So I think that when we first started, I don't know if I would have said, oh, we're a family business. But then when we went down there and it's like, oh, two sisters meeting with two brothers who own the factory. Like it was our factory partners that like held the mirror up to us and was like, oh, that's us too. Like we are a family business. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah. And there it's such a sense of pride. And I think we've learned a lot from their factory partners down there because there, the idea is that you are building your company to hand down. Mm -hmm. So the view that you take, like the lens on that, like how long and like long the view is because it's not for like five years and I'm going to sell this thing. It's like I'm building this for 40 years. So then my children can take it. And also like how important values are as they sit in that business, because it's not just about building this to exit, but it's like this is a reflection of me and my entire family, too. So, um, yeah, I think the funny side story, because totally we work really all with family business in our manufacturing countries. And they've told us, like, you guys are going to have to work for a long time because you had kids late. <laughs> like, so you have to go like, you know, that age plus like 25 to 30 years. And that's our retirement plan. So yeah, that succession doesn't exist until the kids are old enough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And so you learned a lot from your suppliers, it sounds like on that family business side of things. Mm -hmm. How, how was that always or ever a part of how you picked your your partners? Or is that kind of just an evolution that everyone happened to be a family business and now it's kind of ingrained in what you do? I more think it's like every single factory we've ever tried to work with or tannery is a family business. Like it's just so prominent in those countries that I feel like that's how businesses for the most part operate and are ran. So we haven't tried for it or not tried for it. It's just, I feel like very, very common. Yeah. It's probably, yeah, something about the size, like our size and like maybe yeah. in the beginning working with more smaller businesses who would take on our size of work and then those happen to be family. But yeah, like I can't think of like even the really large factories or tanneries that we built. I was going to say, because they're all family. Some of them are big. Yeah. I think it's just that's the dominant form of business organization yeah. in those sectors. Yeah. And it's in Italy, it's about 80 to 90 percent. Yeah. 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 Where Canada is closer to like 60 percent of GDP. So very different mm -hmm. um, ratios there. Mm -hmm. um, so any other family members involved in the business, um, like any, any, or any of your partners involved in the business? I mean, they're not involved except for in being our support person, okay. you know? So I think that they do have a role, but they're not formally involved in the business. Okay. Um, maybe back up a little bit. So you mentioned Justine that you're, you've kind of been the kind of a res social responsibility, save the planet person and Kendall, you've been more entrepreneurship and business. And it sounds like they've married very well together. Um, tell us more about your professional journeys. Um, so maybe we'll start with with you, Justine. Um, if you can kind of take us through, you know, how did you get to that inspiration in, in Bali? Sure. And to, to that next step of entrepreneurship. Sure. Yeah. So I always think in my 20s, I'm a huge planner. So I always had like a five-year plan. But then every two years, I was in a completely different profession. <laughs> okay. So I, I was kind of a reluctant business student. I did it because it seemed safe and practical, but I didn't love it. Um, I really loved political science and history and that type of thing. Um, I did co-op, which let me try a few different areas of business. I worked for a like, sustainable architecture firm for a year. 
and then left to do a master's in Belgium in international conflict analysis. Cool. Yeah. And then I worked briefly for a non-for-profit in, again, conflict prevention, essentially. Um, and really, when I left, I thought, and, and my mom certainly thought, I was like, I'm going to build this international career and I will never live in Edmonton again. It was definitely what I thought. And what I found is I actually really missed my family. And I didn't want to have a career where I was always in another country. Um, so that made me return to Edmonton and look around. And where I landed was working on the first of Alberta's 10-year plan to end homelessness. And then I worked briefly in like urban revitalization before deciding to become an entrepreneur. And then your undergrad was from the Alberta School of Business, correct? Yes. Thought we should plug that where we <laughs> Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was. And retrospectively, every time I have to do accounting, which is a huge part of a small business, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is a great skill set. <laughs> but just that's how I felt at the time. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a very special skill set. Yes. <laughs> um, and Kendall, how about yourself? How, you know, we can... Uh, entrepreneurship has kind of oh, sounds like it's always been a dream yeah how so, did you build yeah. that how did you get there so i mean this okay so our dad worked for cn rail and we moved a lot growing up and it was we'd live someplace on friday and then over the weekend he'd be transferred and he'd be we'd like be living in edmonton and he'd be in prince george mm -hmm. and so there was like a lot of moving and i gravitated to wanting to have my own business because I wanted the control. Like I never wanted to work for someone who was going to be like, and now you do this. So when I was young, I don't think I would have been like, oh, I, I want to be an entrepreneur. I didn't even know what that was. Like, and I can't even think of anyone we knew. Like we had a couple of our uncles who, again, I don't think it was on our radar at all. But now we're like, oh yeah, one of them ran a construction company and one of them ran a sheet metal install company. And they were entrepreneurs. But I don't remember it being part of the conversation. Yeah. So I don't think yeah. I was like fully on my radar, but I wanted to do my own thing mm -hmm. so that I could be in, like, I felt I wanted more control of my own destiny than what I thought my parents had. And um, so I went to UVic. I also have a business degree. And at the University of Victoria, there's a huge focus on entrepreneurship as part of that business program. So I went to school, and it's a very small program, with people who went on to create some really cool companies. So um, there was a lot of entrepreneurship and case studies as part of that. And I loved it. When I graduated from university, I didn't have like, okay, this is my idea. So I went and worked in technology transfer, mm -hmm. um, particularly supporting student spinoff companies. So again, got to see some really cool technology come out of post-secondary institutions that was actually commercialized by starting companies. Um, I'm making it sound like really great, but actually what I did, I was like an analyst and it was quite boring at the time. <laughs> but again, it just like exposed me to like IP and business, like kind of the fundamentals of starting a business. And then similar to Justine, it was kind of family that brought me back to Edmonton. When I got here, I first worked for Evelyn Charles. This was like back in like 2006. So at the time that she was like really growing her business rapidly. In marketing, I was like 25, 26 years old. And then I thought, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I should go work for a larger company where I can learn from others. And I went to AMA, like Alberta Motor Association. And while I had some really great mentors there, I was like, this is not for me. Like, I like to be able to come up with an idea, walk into work, and like put it into place. And that was like really not the culture there. So when Justine had the idea of Poppy Barley and like, let's do this, I was like, okay, 
I've always wanted to do this. Here's the idea. Let's make it happen. Okay. Um, so you mentioned that kind of that culture was kind of something that turned you off of, of some other organizations. Mm -hmm. How, what's the culture like at Poppy Barley? How have you built that? I think it's a very innovative, scrappy culture where people, um, they all get a ton of work done. They're very creative, make do with less, and they're problem solvers. That's, I think for both of us, I came from the government. And the reason why I decided to be an entrepreneur is I was like, I don't want to work on a committee. I don't want to write a briefing note. Like I want to like make decisions, like succeed or fail in my own merits, like create. Yeah. So I think for both of us, it was really like the drive to create and to like work with the people that we want to work with. That is, I think, one of the best parts of being an entrepreneur. Okay. I would say that we very much like adopt more of like a servant leadership perspective where it's like, here are the problems of the organization, like help us solve them to our team. Um, and we attract people who like that environment, like, like being able to take on challenging things. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think you're, both of your titles are co-CEO, correct? How do you, how do you know what, how, like, how do you split up the responsibilities and the opportunities? Like, how do you figure that out between the two of you? Sure. So we divided the company very early on. Like as soon as we were like, okay, we're going to do this together. We really wanted there to be clear decision-making with one person. If a decision had to be made, we couldn't be in like a stallmate. So um, it's changed over time, kind of like what our division of portfolios are. Like right now, Justine has product operations and retail. And I have our e-commerce channel, marketing, um, brand and customer experience. Yeah. So we divided on that. And if we lead that area, we ultimately have the final say and we can make the final call there. So we can debate it mm -hmm. and we can have heated conversations about it. But ultimately, if Justine wants to make a call about product, it's her call to make. And likewise for me in the areas that I lead. Yeah. And how did you get there? Like, I'm sure there was a lot of back and forth to figure out how you have that decision making between the two of you what did that look like i've always led product because i guess i always wanted to work on the product side and kendall was a marketer mm -hmm. and i'm not a marketer so that one was always very clear yep every other portfolio has swapped a little bit where i mean that doesn't happen often but probably once every two years it's like with this change in our business what do you think about doing this um we've also because we we each have two children we've had very brief maternity leaves where we have taken on each other's entire portfolio. So that has helped also learn like kind of all sides. Justine and I, like every business person, we have a lot of weaknesses. But one of the things that I think we're both very strong at is recognizing the things that we do well and where we add tremendous value to the business. So there have been times where, you know, like, for example, I used to have retail and then Justine took retail. And I think where we were at at that stage of retail growth, Justine was like, here's the like, here's why I think I should take retail. And I'm like, I agree with that and swapped. And likewise with customer experience, like how that came back. So I think it's really being like, okay, here's what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. Sitting outside, because sometimes outside you can see things the other person can't see. This is what I'm seeing outside. This is what I think that part of the business needs right now. And I think I'm actually better positioned to do that than you. 
And often it's like, we're like, okay, let me think on that. Because it kind of at first you're like, sometimes it feels kind of like, oh, mm -hmm. but then you go away and I think you, re you think about it and we have deep trust for each other. Yeah. Like truly. And I think like really value each other's skill sets. So I think typically when we've gone away, we can think about it and come back to the table and be like, yeah, I agree or I don't. And here's why. And like have those conversations. Okay. So it sounds like very like rational and collaborative with that decision-making side of things. In our good moments. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was going to get to that. Like, yeah. So like, has there been a lot of conflict between the two of you? Like, could you maybe share a couple of things that were really hard for you to get over and, and kind of some of those key moments and maybe your growth or in certain pivots? Um, I think probably like most businesses that we find it harder to get along when we're under a ton of pressure. Yeah. You know, so really the moments where our conflict increases are the moment where the business is under a ton of pressure and you kind of feel that. And then I also think something that we do is, you know, to employees, it's all about, um, I mean, giving them the problems, but also being kind and respectful and having, putting your best foot forward. And I feel like we both do that. And then sometimes we show the other person the other side of us which is the angry, lashing out, name-calling side. Yeah. Um, so I think that does exist from time to time. Yeah. And I think to add to that for sure, and to add to that, I think some of our moments of conflict have actually come after having a child. And I think that those are challenging and uniquely challenging to us as both female leaders in the business too. But we literally have a baby a newborn and we're back in the business kind of mm -hmm. yeah, and sleep deprived and mm -hmm. yeah and so we're like a normal person or normal i don't know but like an employee an employee you would yeah. not be in that situation and you're coming in and you're just not your best mm -hmm. and i think that's that's really hard and then there has been times when having a baby also coincided with a very challenging time in the business so okay my son was six weeks old when we COVID hit and we closed all of our stores and laid off our team. That was like not what I was planning to doing with a six-year-old, our six-month-old baby. Sorry, six weeks. Sorry, six-week-old yeah. baby. Yeah. And like, and likewise for Justine, like after the birth of a couple of her sons were really stressful moments of the business. Yeah. Um, so I think that's just like a layer, like a layer dynamic that when I talk to like fellow male entrepreneurs, they're like, what? You know, like that's like, not something that they experience. Yeah. Wow. Um, so the kind of, how does that family responsibility of kind of raising that next generation and also maybe your kind of how you were both raised as, as kids, how does that play into, um, that decision-making and that longer term view for your business? What does it? The thing that I probably love the most as a mother entrepreneur is one that I create and I still really love that part of my job. And then the second is I have high responsibility, but I have very high flexibility. Yeah. So for example, when my son was little, I used to stop work at three because he would go to bed at seven mm -hmm. and I could work in the evenings. And that's something that we've always done and we do with our team too. So it's not just about us, but our first developer that we ever had, he was recently divorced. And he said, on the weeks that I have custody, I want to work this. And then I'm going to make it up on the weeks that I don't have custody. Mm -hmm. 
So that's something that we've always like embraced as a company is supporting parents and flexibility. Yeah. You know, reflecting back on like how we were raised, I kind of opened with saying, oh, we like moved all the time and we didn't have control over our destiny. And that's how I perceived it as a child. Now, how I perceive it is that my dad had the opportunity within his company to take on bigger roles and take promotions, and that required moving. And really, what our parents did was embrace an incredible amount of risk. Yeah. So I think that we had this model of risk-taking that involved the whole family. Like, we would sit down and make pros and cons lists, like, should we move to Winnipeg? Like sometimes when it was a choice mm-hmm. and we would flip chart, like the amount of flip charting that we did as a family is like not normal. And it was like pros and con lists. And we were often like at the table deciding if we should move somewhere. And we were like 10 and eight. Oh. Right. And like when we went to university or our parents paid for half and we had to submit a budget, have a budget review meeting where we went through the budget line by line with our parents And they wrote us one check. Once the budget was approved for the year, it was like, do not ask us for another penny. Wow. They'd be like, your entertainment expenses are too high. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, they were very big on financial literacy. I think Mm -hmm. like we had allowance from a very young age. Um, And it was like, when we wanted a Nintendo, it was like, save your money. That's a hundred dollars. You know, take on chores. Like, how can you get money? Like, so I think that in that way, our parents were very strong. I think in like talking to us about money, giving us money, um, helping us make decisions about money. And yeah. Yeah. And like really feeling like we had a voice, like a true voice in the family, like very young. And then also because we were moving so often, we were always in new unfamiliar situations Mm -hmm. with each other. So that part of being in business and like starting the business, we've been doing that our whole life. Yeah. Like put us in a situation that we've never encountered before. Like, yeah, since the time I was 18 months old and Justine was a baby, we've been doing that together. So I think there are a lot of things the more I reflect on our childhood that really did lead us to this, like mm-hmm. and lead and give us the skill set to be able to to have be entrepreneurs and start a business and like yeah, and a lot of that courage came from how we were raised. Yeah, and it sounds like that decision as a as like eight and ten year olds of should we move to Winnipeg is very similar to that decision of who should take on retail. Like, there's yeah. probably some flip charting yeah. and, and negotiation yeah. back and forth where you both had a very real opinion that you could share with each other. Mm-hmm. But you you had kind of like learned how to listen to each other. Yes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, how. Kind of given that experience, and I know this might be a newer reflection, yeah. how has that played into the way that both of you raise your your children? And, and how old are your kids right now? One or five and seven. Five and seven, okay. yeah. And six and three. You're kept. Definitely on the money side, I really try to model what my parents did. I've been told by a friend, they were like, your kids talk about money all the time. And I was like, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. You know, where they have allowed it's when we do something, if we're in a museum and they're in the gift shop, they're not like, give me a toy. I'm like, how much money do you have? Do you think that plastic dinosaur is worth four weeks of allowance? And yeah. and those are the conversations we have. They try to sell me their artwork all the time. <laughs> like, so in that way, um, in other ways, I feel like I'm raising my children quite differently because we'll probably only live in Edmonton. 
We live in a very close-knit neighborhood. They go to a very small school. What we had to do in terms of going into new situations isn't a big part of their life. So I think I'll have to think as a parent, how do I create that for them so that they have some of that same experience? Yeah, be able to kind of find that confidence to have those conversations. Yeah, and and even just know what it's like to walk into a room and not know anyone. I think that's a great skill set to have um, that I'll have to figure out because it it won't be how they're raised. Yeah, and be able to talk to someone that they haven't met before. Yeah, yeah. I think that when it comes to raising kids, like part of the reason why money was always in the conversations when we were younger is because it was very much a reality. Like as a family, we had to choose between what we were doing because we didn't have the money to do everything. Um, So I think that now with my kids, like I think Justine does a far better job talking about money with her kids. My fake kids think anything that comes off the internet's free. Like, well, we'll just order another one, you know? Like there's like not an understanding of like that being um, money, I think. One of the things that I think a lot about is exposing my kids to a lot more people with a lot of different jobs Mm -hmm. because I felt like we had like a very narrow view of what you could do Mm -hmm. with your life. And, um, and so that, and then also the ability to like travel and experience things. And like, I can't wait to get my kids into a, into our factories, Mm -hmm. like to take them on some of those trips for them to be able to see that. And then I also think like, I never apologize for having to work. (laughs) Like, and what I say to them is that, like, I hope that you have a job that you love to do so much that you want to do it too. Um, And that's, like, really important to me is for them to not ever think about work as just a job, but they can do anything and they have the ability to find something that they love and commit themselves to it and not have to apologize for working so I really want them to see like my job filling me up yeah. and like the impact that we're able to have through Bobby Barley mm-hmm. and how we share that. Because ultimately, like that's like the ultimate reason to create a company or that's what motivates us. It's not about our own wealth. It's about really the impact that we can have through the business. So that's the most important thing I want the kids to take away. Okay. And it's, you know, kind of, a couple of weeks ago, we were all at that signature event. Yeah. That main theme there um, was like, you know, most of the time the business treads on family. But every once in a while, it's time for the family to take that place and take mm-hmm. that priority. And you have to put the business at a back seat sometimes. Yeah. I was um, laughing at that <laughs> because I was like listening. I mean, I'm the opposite. Like for the most part, I would say like if I had to choose like business family, we're family first. Yeah. And the business comes second. And I really believe that work doesn't work unless life's working. Yep. So I I believe in starting with life, filling the life bucket first, and then how you show up to work is so much better. And that's what I want for our employees. That's what I want for our team. And I think that that's one of the best things about being in a business with your sibling is that I ultimately cared way more about Justine as a person than I do about the business. Yep. And I think that... If Justine came to me and was like, I'm at a place, my family needs me right now, I need to go do that, then you're like, go do that. Come back when you're ready. Mm -hmm. And like you have the opportunity to do that for each other. So 
I'm actually on the opposite end of that. Okay. Actually, no, and it's a, that's a really good perspective too. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and it probably, and it sounds like it's carried into the values and how you work with your employees as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know your kids might be a little bit young, but kind of do they think that when they grow up, they're going to work for Poppy Barley? Like, or are they, have they had, have they had the opportunity to do anything in the business yet? They haven't really. Like my, my older son, the seven-year-old, like he'll, I always point out, oh, th- those are my shoes. That's my bag. Like when we see them on the street, all, I was on the news recently, so I had him watch it. Yeah. Um, so he knows what I do. Like he'll come into my stores and so he knows what I'm doing and, and he finds it pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking recently, like, I need to get him in the warehouse pretty soon <laughs> as, like, some order packing and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, we definitely talk about it. And kind of to Kendall's thing about I love what I do, what my message to my kids is more like I have responsibility for you and for the families of my employees and my suppliers. And, and I have this big impact and responsibility chain. So if I'm, you know, missing your assembly, um, it's because I'm balancing being your mom and being who I am at work. Yeah. Um, can you kind of think of any, you know, I guess wouldn't be with your kids yet, mm-hmm. um, but maybe any moments between the two of you that have been kind of humorous or impactful or difficult um, as a sibling duo um, over the last couple of years, um, just like any time where either business interrupts a family event or family interrupts a business event or well i mean the first one that comes to mind for me is that justine postponed her wedding because we needed the money in the company so yeah (laughs) so i can't remember even what we needed the money for but we needed money in the company and the only money that we had available to us was sitting in justine's bank account for her wedding so she postponed the wedding so that we could run the company. And I'm not sure how that conversation went with Connor, but I think it was more our parents gave us a certain amount of money for our wedding. Mm-hmm. And I went to my parents and he was like, can I just use this for the company? And they said, uh, maybe 50-50. <laughs> so then I, yeah. So I put half into the company and half into the wedding. Yeah. So you, but you still were able to, have, have the wedding and, and everything work. Yeah, I just had it about six months later. Um, I was just so busy. Like, starting a company, I was so busy that I, I remember, like, I can't plan a wedding and start a company. So I, I just moved the wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah well, that, that's fair. Um, so how does maybe these family values that you're mm-hmm. kind of bring into the business on a daily basis, how does that go into where you see Poppy Barley going in the future? Um, like, if you think 10, 20 years down the line... Mm-hmm. What does that look like from a family perspective? What does that look like from a business perspective? I think for us, we most likely envision a future where we do sell the company. So then I think what that takes on is like, well, who's the buyer? And how do you align your values with the value of a buyer to make sure that you create something that can continue in the way that you would want it to? Okay. When we started Poppy Barley and, you know, we came out of startup Edmonton and we were surrounded by a lot of tech entrepreneurs that were very much about like building the company to sell the company. And so I think for the first five years of the company, we were all in 
on the company. And then there was this moment where it's like, okay, it was the reverse. It was company, then family. It was like, if we continue at this pace, we're going to be divorced, have no friends and no hobbies. Like we will literally be the least interesting people in any room because all we do is work on our business. And I think like being all in that intense for five years maybe works if you're a tech company that there's like a very clear exit and you go hard for five years, you exit and you have like a mini retirement in your 30s and then you circle back. Mm -hmm. And there was this point that we were like, okay, this is going to take longer than we thought. And so we needed to like recalibrate our lives Mm -hmm. and how we showed up in the business to reflect a longer timeline. So that meant putting confines, like not working all the time. What are our working hours? So I think that was like one of the earliest ones. And we always talk about that. Like when we're doing our planning, we always put on the table, like, what do you want to do in your life in the next five, 10 years? And then what do we want to do in the business and make sure that those things are working together to support each other and also to understand how we need to support each other as co-leaders in the business. So if Justine, if I wanted to be like, I want to take a six months sabbatical because I want to move my family to Thailand for six months. I would put that on the table. So Justine's like, okay, in 2027, that's what Kendall wants to do. So that means I'm in the business that year. So trying to like really make sure we're talking about both as we're doing our planning. I agree with that, but I would say it's never, we've never gotten maybe as like great at that. We're like in the 10 years that we've been working together probably the most vacation either of us has been taken has been like maybe two weeks at a time. Like, and again, with both of us, we had babies and thought, okay, we'll be out for like a few months. And then the reality was like three days later, somebody's phoning you about like something. So I would say, I think the the example of like going to Thailand for a month is maybe more aspirational than what we've been able to get to. But we absolutely do bring life goals as well as business goals to, to planning session. Um, so what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge in the next five to 10 years for the business, um, either, or for the industry, if that's an easier look like for fashion or sustainable fashion? Mm -hmm. I think that the industry we're in is like highly competitive and then highly disruptive there's been a lot of shifts, you know, this shift to online and then back to retail and how products are made. And so I think even like where manufacturing is happening and offshoring and then onshoring. And so I think it's just a very high change industry that I think that for us to stay in it, we just have to really stay on top of everything that's happening in the space. It's just kind of lots of cycles that you're going to kind of see those trends popping up again and again. Yeah, I mean, I I hope that, like, for example, I think that, I think the future of leather will look different. Mm -hmm. So right now, most of our product is all made in leather. I think that in the future, leather might come from a lab, for example. So I I think there's a lot of things like that that we need to make sure we're part of, and that will change. Anything to add there? We have fairly big growth ambitions for Poppy Barley. And I think growth always brings challenges. It brings cha- challenges on the capital side. Um, retail is not everyone's favorite business to finance. So that's always a challenge for us. We're always thinking about capital. Where's the capital coming from to fund the growth? Um, 
Yeah. So I think it's, I think that piece and then the other piece of it is how long, like if our thinking that our goal is to sell, what's that timeline? And like, how do you continue to bring like the energy to that, to, to building the business? Um, so I think that's something like maybe more on the personal side, but, um, like just really like, okay, to keep showing up at this level of intensity is like exhausting in its own right. So like, how do we continue to do that to grow the business? And I think that there's going to be some really interesting and great conversations between the two of us about how maybe we can trade that on and off to make it happen because, um, yeah, the pace Sometimes the pace just isn't sustainable. Yeah. And if you have these milestones set up that you're trying to reach, if you, you know, if there's scope creep in where they are, I can see a lot of fatigue setting in there of, oh yeah, we're going to do this for another 18 months. Yeah. I'm saying that every 18 months. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so because we are, you know, very closely affiliated with an educational institute, mm-hmm. um, I always like to ask um, kind of what's the biggest book or speaker or seminar or event that you've ever done in your life? Very easy question here. That's made an impact in how you run your business or how you work with your family. I love the book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Hmm. So it's a book that is about when everything goes wrong. Because the premise of the book is most books are written about like, when, when you're on the upside, like what's your big hairy audacious goal? And it's like, what do you do when your market plunge and you have to lay off half your team or break up with your coworker or turn a company around? So for me, that book is like therapy and the best advice that I've read. And I always go back to that when I'm in a rep period with the company. And I just, I love that book. I mean, the two books that first came to mind is The Art of the Start. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the early days, I like really appreciated that. And I think for me that not being a perfectionist and just getting things out into the world was really helpful. And then the book that I come back to the most is probably still good to great. Yeah. That's my second. Like I, yeah. you know, every time I feel stuck in the company, I go back and I yeah. read good to great. And I think it's a fantastic, a fantastic read. Yeah. We also do use EOS. Mm-hmm. So we use Traction, yeah. like Traction's another book. Every so often I flip back open Traction, read a very specific chapter within Traction. Yeah. Um, so those would be probably my three biggest resources. Nice no, Those are all really like awesome recommendations. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, what advice would you have um, for someone looking to start a business with their sibling or with their family? Um, like, What do you wish you knew 10 years ago that that you know today? I feel like starting a business is like getting your MBA. You know, it's, you just learn so much about leadership and family and balance. And I think that probably the perspective that we've gained, which is like, how do you balance? I think a lot of entrepreneurs start a business because they want to be in charge of their own life and create their own life. And then they get so busy that the business dominates them yeah. and then they lose all sight of that. So I, I think it would be advice around that. Like, how do you not lose your original vision for your life that this business was supposed to facilitate 
in like the busyness and the and the difficulty of the business. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely good. Like, how does that business not overtake your own ballots and your own goals? I think potentially also the other thing would be like to have a coach, maybe. Like, I think at times we've done that and it's been helpful where we brought in a third person to our relationship because otherwise it is just the two of us all of the time. And that's helped facilitate some conversations and made some breakthroughs in terms of how we how we work together. I was going to say, being in a family business is both less lonely and more lonely, I think. So it's less lonely because you're in there with someone who knows you and knows you well and can, in our case, like support both the business and life. Where I find it really lonely is that when there's conflict between the two of us, I don't want to take that home (laughs) to my husband because I want my husband to be Justine's brother-in-law. And so I find that sometimes, and I'm not bringing it to my parents and I'm not bringing it to our other sister. So I think that sometimes when there's like the conflict piece in a family dynamic, it feels a bit lonelier. Um, and so I think that for us, like we have, we engaged coach. I was part of EO for a bit. Justine has done venture mentoring. Like there's been different places where we've gone outside yeah. so that we can find people not super close to us to help us navigate that. And that has been really helpful. And I think something I wish I would have done a little bit earlier because I felt really alone at times um, and finding a place to take that. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Well, that's a really good point. Uh, and that it, I think is a very common theme in family business where people don't feel like they have anyone to talk to. They don't think that any of their friends will relate to the situation that they're in. And, uh, and like for us, so many of our friends are shared friends. Okay. So like, I really don't want to take our conflict between us to them either. Like I want to maintain our relationship as a family, our our relationships with our friends before what's happening in the business, if that makes sense. So, yeah. And this wasn't on the script or even something I was going to bring up, but you, so you mentioned another sister. Yes. Um, has she ever been involved in the business? What does she think of the business? She has not ever been involved. Um, I think in the beginning she was a little bit hurt by the fact that she wasn't involved. And then I think over time, she's now kind of just happy <laughs> to be doing her own thing. And mm-hmm. she actually lives in Florida now. Like she's, okay. um, and she was in human resources, which you don't really need until you're a decently larger company. So yeah, but um, yeah. She's a really big supporter. Mm-hmm. Like a really big supporter. Okay. okay. Um, so finally, kind of before we kind of close things off, um, anything that you want people to know about Poppy Barley or yourselves that I didn't ask about that you think is important to share on a, on a family business podcast. <laughs> Nothing that comes down no. for me. Yeah. You go. Um, last part. So if people want to know more about Poppy Barley, if they want to go buy a new pair of amazing shoes, mm-hmm. if they want one of these amazing sweaters that you're both modeling today, where do they go? How do they find you? Uh, so Poppy Barley, um, we have our e-commerce platform, so poppybarley.com. 
Um, Instagram, which is at Poppy Riley. We have three stores. We have a store in Vancouver. We have a in a Vancouver, Calgary, Southgate. We do pop-up shops across Canada. But probably our website is the best destination to find out what's happening. Um, yep. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you both very much for making the time today to talk a little bit about kind of the family perspective, which is maybe a bit of a new lens for you to think about today. Mm -hmm. But I, I think from the conversation, I've seen a little bit of kind of some good moments of reflection, um, which to me is just very powerful. So just want to thank you for, for being gracious with your time and for sharing your thoughts and feedback. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you.